Thanks, Andy. Good morning, everyone. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you we can turn to you at any time in any situation. Pray for our nation at this time and all the infighting that goes on and the, the lack of direction that there is in various ways in our parliament. And we ask, Lord, for your overruling power to come in. We pray that your servants will speak out at this time. We pray, Lord, you will raise someone up who has spiritual aims to do the will of God in these days and to recognize that righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're back in Hebrews again, chapter 2. Um, we're going to read the, the opening verses of chapter 2 of Hebrews. Um, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. Somebody said, today's society is all signposts and no destinations. People are pointing in all directions for us. We're disenchanted with tradition. A generation of young people is breaking free, um, not only in political realms, but in other realms. We're a generation of shoppers uh, for everything. And, and even in Christianity itself, there are so many floaters you know what they have, they call it cafeteria Christianity. If you don't like what's on the menu, then you go elsewhere. And you, but the other thing is you generally make a terrible fuss before you go elsewhere about the menu in the cafeteria where you belong. And a lot of what is called growth 
in the Christian church is really, it's not real growth, it's transfer growth. And big is beautiful. It's not what do I owe God or the church, but what can God do to help me on my journey? You know, it's a sort of self-directed uh, stuff. And if they don't help, I'll drift elsewhere. And we're in a mess. Professor William Martin, he says, imagine a world where we've got, it's like a big ship and we're all in the ship together, you right? Um, and we're interested in the ship. It's a very interesting ship. There's so many components to it and, and so much interest. And we investigate the ship and we chemically analyse the gift and the gift of the ship. And we, we look at bits of the ship under microscopes and even electron microscopes and we examine it. But the problem is all our measurements and all our conclusions are relative. And Professor Martin says, well, says, what we really need is someone to step on board the ship who once and for all brings to bear the languages of the absolute to deal with our lives and to put everything into proper perspective. For we're so out of perspective these days. And the glory of the gospel is that this is what God has done for us. What a mess we're in apart from God's intervention. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came, it was like somebody stepping on board the ship. And when those who lived close to him saw how he lived, they learned so much about God. If Jesus says to Philip on one occasion, when Philip says, show us the Father and that's enough for us, Jesus said, have you been so long with me, Philip? And yet you haven't known me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. His glory is the target and his will is the law of the universe. The salvation of a lost world originates in the sovereignty of God and the hope of his intervention. So very simply because time's going um, I want to look at this text verse 10 and bringing many sons to glory Hebrews 2.10 It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brethren. So, three simple things. Number one, a great intention. You could call this the manifesto of God. The politicians are running about with what they're going to do and what the list of things that are priorities to them um, are on the top of the agenda. But here's what the writer says. It was fitting. In other words, what we're going to talk about matched the character of God. It, it fits in with it, slots into it, it dovetails into it. It was right and proper, J.B. Phillips says in his translation, for a gracious God to bring many sons to glory. What is the purpose of God for your life and mine? He wants to bring us to glory. Isn't that great? And that's why Christ has come. This is God's plan. He wants to make 
the message and life and teaching of Jesus and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead to be the, the meaningful directives in our lives and so that our, our lives should in some way reflect the life of God in the soul of man so that eventually we share glory with him and we go and are equipped for praise for him for all eternity what a wonderful manifesto the glory is of course the weightiness of God's kingly character uh, the Hebrew word for glory um, kavoz is glory it's from the, there are two kinds of verbs in Hebrew there are active verbs and stative verbs Active verbs have a dynamism about them, they are activity words, but stative verbs are verbs that describe a state. And the state, funnily enough, for glory, uh, the verb is kaveth. It means, without embarrassment to anyone present, it means to be heavy. <laughs> to be heavy. And the idea is the heaviness of a, a royal figure uh, weighed down by the the glorious garments and all the accoutrements of royalty in the, in the splendour and pomp of scepter and crown and all these things. A wonderful picture. Glory. There's glory in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The tent shrine in the Old Testament was full of what they called the Shekinah glory, the shining glory of God. And there's glory in the temple too. At the dedication of the temple, the Lord came down and confirmed the work done in the temple and glory is often in the Old Testament associated with light phenomena, flame and fire and shining you know um, especially in Ezekiel and one of the prophetic hopes is that the earth may be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea this was a great prophetic hope and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ as John says in his wonderful gospel and we gazed at his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth now the Lord Jesus was a human being but occasionally the glory shone through as on the Mount of Transfiguration um, they saw him transformed, transfigured before them as the glory shone through and Jesus prayed in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17 for his disciples he says that they may share and see my glory that was his earnest prayer for his people and this is God's target for us all he wants to bring many sons and daughters to glory what a manifesto that is eh? And then it tells us how he goes about it. There's not only a great intention here, there's a gracious intervention. If, if the great intention is the manifesto, the, the, the gracious in, intervention is the method. What did he do? Well, he made the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. I'll just pause on two points here. First of all, the word author. It's unusual. I said to you when we're doing Hebrews, there are some unusual words that appear in Hebrews that don't appear elsewhere in Scripture. And this is a special word. It means author. It can mean prince. It can mean pioneer. 
in Hebrews chapter 12 it says looking unto Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith the pathfinder the trailblazer these are all terms you could use for author now I was brought up in the dandy and the beadle and the cowboy pictures <laughs> and <laughs> and I was always interested on uh, there was a, a program on TV called Wagon Train you never remember it eh? that's where uh, Clint Eastwood made his, his debut as an actor uh, anyway the story of the, of the wagon train out west was they were pushing west and the, every wagon train had a scout and the scout was sent ahead to plan out the route so that the, the cattle could get grass and water so that the, the, the rivers weren't too deep to cross so that as far as possible the, the herds would be safe as they travelled ahead and then when the scout had scouted out the land ahead the scout came back to the wagon train and took them through the path well that's the glorious picture of what the Lord Jesus has done he comes to show us the will of God and to lead us through our lives and to let in our lives the glory of God be seen even in the ordinary things there was a famous preacher in Scotland called Dr Alexander White he was born of an irregular marriage uh, or coupling in a peasant's cottage in Angus and he became a prince of preachers in St George's Church Free Church Edinburgh and he wrote it's tremendous sermons he wrote a series of sermons called Bible Characters you can used to buy them in separate volumes, you can buy them in a New Testament volume, an Old Testament volume and uh, his descriptions were wonderful um, for example he describes Elijah like this, remember the first sentence of the, of the sermon on Elijah, he said Elijah was a Mount Sinai of a man with a heart like a thunderstorm. How's that for a sentence? <laughs> a Mount Sinai of a man with a heart like a thunderstorm. But one day at the church door, as the crowds were going out, and the pastors used to stand at the door and shake hands with people then, did you know that? And he, <laughs> he was standing at the door of the church and they were going past, and one of the congregations said to him, Dr. White, you preached this morning as if you'd come from the presence of God himself he said so I did <laughs> and the, the, the truth just shone through his preaching and this is God's amazing intervention we've no hope no chance until Jesus comes into our lives the perfect son of God has become his people's perfect saviour opening up a new way, a new access a new entrance to God and to grace so that we're fit for purpose in the hand of God and a strange phrase this is the second thing I'm going to talk about here uh, perfect through suffering how can that be? I thought it was perfect from day one uh, how can he be made perfect through suffering well you see there's a perfection appropriate to growth and Jesus wasn't some sort of strange curious invention he, was, he lived like an ordinary human being, he worked in a carpenter shop from the time he was 12 to the time he was about 30 in the village of Nazareth and yet 
There was something about him. Absolutely wonderful. And he, he submitted, he said he submitted to his parents. And there's a wonderful fourfold description in the Gospels near the beginning of Luke. It says, And Jesus developed in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and men. There's a, what a description. In wisdom, that's his intellectual development. Um, in stature, his physical development. Uh, in favour with God. That's his spiritual development. And with men. That's his social development. Perfection. And as he grew, he entered into the experiences. He's in a crowd one day and a lady touches him. He says, who touched me? He says, oh, come on, look at the crowd. It's like partied in a Saturday. Um, <laughs> and he says, somebody touched you. <laughs> and he recognised the touch of the woman in need. And he, he healed her. An amazing sensitivity to things around him. And he wept. Uh, three times in the New Testament it tells us Jesus wept. He wept over a city. Jesus weeps over Glasgow. And the district around it including Murraysburg. Um, Jesus weeps over the city. How often would I have gathered your children together like a hen gathers her chickens under her wing, but you would not. And he weeps over a family. He was very friendly with a family, two sisters and a brother, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And Lazarus dies. And it says, the shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. A different kind of weeping, actually. There's, there's, there's no, noisy weeping. And in, in the Middle East, they go in for that at funerals. Noisy weeping. Um, and there's silent weeping where you just stand. My next door neighbour was weeping. He was telling me about how his dog had died last week. And the dog was with him for 15 years. It was a Springer Spaniel. Oh, Murray, what a great old dog he was. And he was standing there, and his tears were just coursing down his cheeks. A silent weeping. It says Jesus wept. It's that kind of silent weeping before the tomb of Lazarus. And then in Hebrews, it says that before he went to the cross with strong crying and tears, a combination of the two kinds of, of crying, and Jesus wept over a tyranny. Over a city, over a family, over a tyranny. The tyranny of sin with its grip over human beings would take nothing less than the greatest act the universe has ever seen. The death of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, died on the cross for us. As if we were the only human beings on the planet. He became perfect through suffering. And as a, a Scottish paraphrase says this, in every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows had a part. He sympathises with her grief and to sufferer sends relief. So here's the method. He made the, the, the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. And then there's a glorious identification. This is the miracle. That we should be made the children of God. There's a terrific uh, verse in First John 3. At the opening of the chapter it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. 
and I'm so glad the NIV includes the Greek text here and some versions don't include it but it says in the Greek text Kai is men and so we are <laughs> and so we are <laughs> or so we are um, <laughs> underline that how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons and daughters of the living God. Kai Esmen, so we are. Says <laughs> John, absolutely wonderful. You see, it's, it's absolutely glorious what God has done for us. My old principal, Ernest Kevin, tells a story about how a man fell down a, a well, a pit. And he's down the pit shouting, help, help, get me out of here. <laughs> and somebody comes to the end of the bit and bends over and says to him, oh, you're down the pit. <laughs> um, if you had done what I told you and followed my teaching, you would be all right. You would never have fallen into that pit. And that's like the leaders of world religion, all the cults and all that sort of stuff. And then somebody else comes along and says, you're down the pit I can help you I have a rope of regulation length and I will put it down the pit but you've got to jump up to catch the rope and the problem was the man was lost at the bottom of the pit and the rope stopped far short of his reaching it so he had no chance but you see some folks think going to church gets you ready for heaven going to church will definitely put you in personal living touch with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not necessarily, my friend. Not necessarily. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Helpless, eh, naked look to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Jesus, or I die. Now, Along came a third person, and the third person had a rope of adequate length to the need of the man doing the pit. And there was a loop on it that went round the man's body. It was personally tailored for him, for the size of him. And the person said, if you put this round you, I'll pull you out. That's what Jesus does during the Gospels. He came to me, I was in terrible need with a, the possibility of a horrible future one of my best pals his father hanged himself because of his bad behaviour another of my best pals spent long terms in prison because of his behaviour and normally humanly speaking I could have gone the way of quite a few of my pals but Jesus came and Jesus reached right down to where I was and he pulled me out Psalm 40 you know, wonderful psalm. Um, eh. <laughs> psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He put my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, even praises to our God. Out of the mire into the choir <laughs> what a wonderful saviour
a helper lets down a long and strong rope with a loop attached which will go around his body you've got to repent and believe the gospel you've got to accept what he offers you in the gospel you've got to trust in him and he'll pull you out (laughs) so what a wonderful text that is let's pray together Lord we thank you for all of your fatherly goodness to us and we thank you for sending us such a wonderful saviour as the Lord Jesus Christ who is touched with a feeling of our weaknesses and is well able to come to us to the depths of our need and to bring us near to God so that God can bring many sons and daughters to glory. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.